side of the midfield. There's Alex oh. Wheel poked in. McCarty, Mukhtar a hat trick. He's done it again. Honey reaches 13 goals with a Hattie against St. Louis. That call courtesy of Will Bowling and 104.5 The Zone. The boys in gold unbeaten in 10 matches, and they win their only home match of June 3-1 against St. Louis. Now second place in the Eastern Conference, five points back of Cincy. And this is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. So much to talk about. A win over MLS's newest expansion team, who is, was, top of the West. Uh, Also, a new homegrown signing after a press conference just after press time of this podcast last week. And a big trophy. Well, not a big trophy, but a trophy for the U.S. men's national team, courtesy of big wins over the U.S.'s two biggest regional rivals. Tim, so much to discuss. And, uh, oh, also, by the way, two matches coming up, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just that time of year, right? Um, don't even worry about the fact that uh, Gold Cup is here, uh, U.S. with a trophy, um, you know, just over this weekend. So there's a lot going on, uh, both in and outside of Nashville in the world of soccer, and uh, we're here to talk about. It. And of course, the Dog Bites Man story is a Nashville affiliated team beating a Miami affiliated team, Huntsville, <laughs> with a nice two-zero win over Inter Miami too. We're going to start, Tim, with St. Louis, which of course proved us and especially you right. <laughs> Nashville handled Love St. Louis it. City Love despite a uh, controversial, is putting it mildly, uh, goal call in St. Louis's favor. Uh, St. Louis, a good team, takes chances, forces uncharacteristic mistakes, uh, sometimes by the referee, <laughs> but, but simply a team, Tim, that's not as far along as a Nashville team that's now enjoying the best form in MLS. Another banner win for this team at home. Yeah, and you know, we have been very skeptical of this St. Louis team, but uh, that also means that when Nashville wins the match 3-1, we're excited, but we're not kind of losing our losing our minds over it either. It's a very good win, and it's a win that you probably should get. To St. Louis's credit, a lot of teams have not gotten should-win games against no. them, so Nashville does deserve a, a lot of that too. So it's something that uh, necessary but not sufficient to say this team is, is continuing on a kind of the buzzsaw run of form that they're in. Next up, a visit to Montreal. And this is a good Montreal team at home, Tim. I know Nashville handled them easily at Jonas mm-hmm. Park, and you would have expected them to early in the season. Six wins, just one loss for Montreal, and uh, going to be a test for Nashville on Wednesday. Yeah, and a big part of that is that I think they're like four of their first five games were on the road. And not only is it hard to play on the road in this league, but also uh, Montreal was coming off an offseason of a ton of change, and they were just not very good. They got better and then they started playing at home and those two kind of combined to make them play so much better overall. Um, they they kind of found that vein of form and were able to, um, you know, play in a venue that has historically been very friendly to them. And that's something that uh, Nashville can't take them lightly just because they did get that 2 nothing win in Geodas Park to uh, begin the season. And then it's Columbus as Nashville SC fans surely rooting for Lucas Zellerion to ball out for Armenia right now in European <laughs> qualifying. And he is, by the way. Uh, and maybe just maybe he earns a rest on the, on the weekend when Nashville <laughs> visits visits Columbus, a place they won last year, their first ever win in Columbus. Um, but also, Tim, great news for the U.S. men's national team. The boys in gold were golden, and the USMNT won a gold trophy, Nations League. They did it at the expense of Mexico, which was delightful, of course, but also at the expense of a former boy in gold, as the lasting image I will have from that final against Canada is Walker Zimmerman shielding Alistair Johnston while Chris Richards dunked on really <laughs> for the header that ultimately was the game-winning goal. I don't think Walker would tell you he was trying to shield anybody. I think he, he was trying to head it himself. Trying to but, head it as well, yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's a situation where there were a lot of those sort of moments where club teammates were, were coming up against each other, and that's going to happen, mm-hmm. whether that's former club teammates in Nashville, whether that's um, current club teammates at Lille when, when Jonathan David and Tim Wea got into it a little bit. That's kind of one of the, the magical parts about, about international play is these are guys who are often your friends. <laughs> and uh, for, for 90 minutes, uh, I guess the Americans weren't very friendly, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Canadians were a little too polite in the back and it cost them a couple of times. Shout out also, by the way, to Finland. I was just over there. And so I'll give them some love because basically Finland is Minnesota United East. And uh, it's always fun to see <laughs> them play well. They beat San Marino. Uh, 
which is you were right. You and I could beat San Marino, I think, but that's okay. Good for them. Um, in the early shout today, we're going to recap. Hey, it's, that. it's only like the I think fourth smallest country in the world. So, but the worst soccer country in the world. I think that like even Fiji or Vanuatu would would beat San Marino. Twenty thousand population. Organize. Let's organize a friendly. Let's do it. Even uh, all right, let's go, it dude. Might. What if the Vatican had a team? That would be so sick. 983 priests or whatever that'd be fine they'd have the players but i think the the man management would be rough because i hear the manager would not be a very papal person <laughs> uh, i'm wearing folks, the white we hat. got the puns wearing the white hat and moving on uh <laughs> uh in the early shout Oof, tough one to recover from. We're going to recap the win <laughs> over St. Louis City. Plus, somehow, Hani is topping his MVP season from a year ago and his should-have-been MVP season from 2021. Uh, there we go. Hit that off the off the checklist right away, mentioning that snub. Um, plus, a first-time starter in the back for Nashville against St. Louis. We'll review his performance and the worst call we've ever seen go against NSC. Strong statement, but uh, could have been consequential and was pretty cataclysmic. Uh, in the mailbag, Nashville's going to miss a pretty large cast of characters because of the Gold Cup, including some players that we might not have expected while they're going to have the services of a couple of players we might have expected to play in that tournament. Is MLS selling itself short by continuing to play during continental international competition? I know League's Cup probably playing a role in that scheduling decision as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go outside in briefly for a Gold Cup preview and a look at the U.S. Men's National Team's Nations League triumph. But first... As always, we will start with ML Rose, and I have a personal story here. Um, I was still making my way back to town and not able to go to the match or to ML Rose, but had a, a, a friend, one of these Twitter friends, like I've never hung out with him, but, you know, Tim, good guy. Like, we'd have beers if I was around. And he was in Nashville for a game. I think it was his first NSC match at Jodas Park. He sent me a, a, a quick little tweet and said, where should I go? I said, ML Rose. He sent me a picture from ML Rose. And, and the motivation was he didn't just want to go before the match he also wanted to catch the ut college world series game right before it and uh, of course he was able to knock both those things out pre-gaming but also taking in another sport sports multitasking you can do that at ml rose yeah and it's a situation we bring it up a lot uh we may have different uh different uses for for how we go to mro's i go and i sit at the bar by myself and i watch sports you probably go and hang out with people sounds kind of lame but you can do either uh they're very they have a a bunch of different spaces in there uh you can can go sit at the bar and and hang out with your bartender like it's like it's the place that you've been going for 20 years or you can go and and meet friends and sit at a booth as as we've done in the past um shout out to logan and kate as we so often (laughs) often do in our mro's ad reads but it is a situation where you can kind of not only is it going to be a good experience for you, but you can make it the sort of experience that you want it to be. And it's very adaptable and you can have an experience where you go and watch a UT baseball, or you can have an experience where you go and, and uh, watch a team that's, that's much more likable. Hey, <laughs> Sorry, Tennessee fans. We're Sorry, likable Tennessee this fans. Year. Last year we were assholes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's one of the many reasons that we love ML Rose. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, uh, also shout out logan and kate by the way who got married this past this past weekend congrats guys i don't know if the reception was catered by ml rose unclear um but but uh, still uh, i think i think it probably was it though. probably was yeah we'll just go ahead and say it was for sure um also family friendly uh we were going to a restaurant for father's day on sunday and we told our two-year-old that we were going to be going to a restaurant and he said will it be ml rose they have an owl so um <laughs> he's, catching he's, he's deep on this owl thing he's <laughs> If it's tied to an animal or tied to his appetite, then he's going to remember it. In this case, <laughs> both. both. Both, for sure. Just not serving the owl burger. Um, that's the one thing I should clarify there. Uh, let's get to Gary Smith. You know, having seen a considerable amount of, of this group, and, and we had the luxury, really, of, of watching a very strong um, St. Louis side come into the league and overpower a number of different teams. And, and that was our luxury that we we're 18, 17 games in and there was a little bit more maybe to draw out of that and certainly, uh, you know, some qualities that we needed to be ready for. And the first period was extremely challenging, um, very, very competitive, I would say as competitive as we've had here. And the dynamic and the change at half-time with Jacob coming on, I thought made a world of difference. You know, suddenly there was an individual who put some fear maybe into their back line with his pace. 
Um, it certainly didn't help that the right back got booked immediately. But I, I thought that that area of the field and that connection gave us a, a, a much needed boost and, and you know, exciting look down that left hand side. And in the end, it, it was obviously a big part of us getting a, a tough, tough result. Um, and obviously, Hanny's performance was world class again. Gary's comments after the 3 1 win over St. Louis. Tim, it was a, a bright display to steal a Gary Smith term, right? Positive, purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, was it their sharpest home outing of the season? I don't necessarily think so. And and part of that is because of what I think about St. Louis. I think they have been a, a team with a horseshoe up their butt that's been okay. So to beat them 3-1 is obviously good. It is not necessarily the sharpest match of the season. Is it better than a 2-0 win against NYCFC? I don't think meaningfully so. Obviously, NYCFC is not the team that we thought they were going to be to start the year. But uh, a shutout is always is always better. Um, look at the blasting of Chicago. That has to be taken into context, the quality of, of the fire, of course. But they also beat St. Louis in the only matchup of those future rivals this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game was at Soldier Field, so it's a little bit of a different scenario than St. Louis traveling to Geodis Park. But it, it is a great result. I have a hard time calling it the best. I think there have been probably more good results than we really realize, especially when you look back and, and kind of see... Um, in comparison to last year, especially, but I do think that this was, this was one of the better results, but not the best. I'd put it right behind the three, one win over Columbus. I think mm-hmm. that Columbus team is a team we both believe will contend for a top four spot. You get the job done in dominant fashion over a Columbus team that was playing with, you know, of course, Lucas Zellerion, who I think is in my opinion, maybe the third or fourth most entertaining player in this league. Um, I, I, but I think the, the St. Louis game, what I saw intangibly was just a sense of, of purpose um, and of confidence. I think this team looks like a team that's unbeaten in 10. And mm-hmm. I know that's feelings ball. It's, you know, I don't have data to back up that, that aggression, but I, and, and I probably could find it if I had prepped harder for this podcast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're fired. I know I'm out, but, but I think just watching it, you know, this is a team that knew its mandate and, and it's not always easy to get it, ju- get it done against the St. Louis team that yes, while maybe overrated, maybe outperforming their metrics, is going to make it hard to sustain possession. And I think Nashville knew that. And they combined really precisely and effectively and showed a sense of aggression. And once you go up 1-0 on a team like that, then you're where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and in forcing St. Louis to have to have maybe a little bit more of the ball than they want to. Um, and Nashville dealt with that, I think, really, really well. Even And even when, when there's the terrible, abominable call that's 1-1, you wonder, are they going to respond to this? And then they showed Tim some psychological strength, I think, to overcome that adversity and uh, lean on Hani to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, when you are playing the way that Nashville does, you can um, have, have an opponent get two yellow cards in the span of 14 minutes and get sent off. And that makes life a lot easier for you. But it is a situation where Nashville had already taken control of the game before that happened. So I don't think it's something that you look at and say, Oh, they won three one because they had a man advantage for for twenty two minutes. No, it's a yeah. situation where this team came out and was the better team, pretty much wire to wire. So I I I'm kind of coming around. Maybe the Columbus game is the only one that's definitively better than this one. I'm just a sucker for clean sheets, I guess. Yeah, me too. I launder them regularly. Um, that's <laughs> now seven points in three matches to start July for this team, and I know we won't go back to the numbers that we said you know earlier at the beginning of the month as to what constitutes success we've done that like every episode but i think now that we know what's ahead from an international competition standpoint with with gold cup absences a couple of which again we didn't expect two more matches loom this week that's going to close out the month it's a midweek march to montreal the road match in columbus can we already call june a success based on these seven points and three or because nashville's going to be without some bodies coming up for several games do the boys of gold need to steal a road win in the next two for us to say, yeah, this was the exact June they needed to have? I mean, it depends on it depends on how you want to define success. I would say seven points right now feels pretty good. Seven points uh, by Sunday afternoon might not feel quite as good, but give me at least two points uh, between Wednesday and Saturday. I think it's an unmitigated success. Um, eight eight across uh, four matches, uh, eight across five matches, and then if you get anything uh, anything more than uh, you know that uh, that ninth point. I think you can go ahead and say nine, nine over five. That would be right. Yeah. That, 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 that would be very good. Anything greater than that. And it's, it's, you're looking at something special. I think mm-hmm. because these two games are both on the road, it's like, I've already mentioned multiple times. That one's 
close uh, to becoming a, a regular feature of our bingo card for listeners, but <laughs> it's hard to win on the road in this league. And if Nashville does it, uh, that's that's going to be a really impressive close to a month that has already started really impressively. It has been fun to see the two top supporter shield teams at this point, Cincinnati and Nashville start to separate themselves. Both teams have won four of five and drew the other one in that, in that group. So both with 13 points in their last five matches, I think success looks like keeping your spot in the table uh, wire to wire for June second place in the East and Nashville's in a good position to do that. They're two points up on new England, but they play twice this week. New England just has one match. It's a home match and it's against Toronto. So go ahead and give new England three, I think in that, and then if Nashville just takes a point, then they stay in second place. And that was something I said. I, well, okay, were you raising your hand? Listen, listen, man. We we said that uh, Gary Smith and Bob Bradley have come to a mutually assured uh, destruction <laughs> one time already this season, and then another time they kind of accidentally drew it. Yeah. You don't think Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley are going to be able to do that? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Although actually, Bruce probably wants to beat the tar out of Bob. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of water under that bridge. Uh, yeah. You can read uh, Bruce's book, "What's Wrong with Us," which was U.S. Uh, to learn a little more about that backstory uh, with appearances by Greg Berhalter as well. Anything happened with Greg this week? By the way, I don't know his name's not really been in the news much. No, nope. never yeah. heard of him. Didn't think so. <laughs> I don't know if we have time for that today. Goodness. Um, but but I think you know, I said at the beginning of the month, you know what? Nashville's not going to keep its second place spot, and that's okay. It's going to four road yeah. matches in five. To do that, I think, makes me look bad, makes this team look really good. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't. I said it, it depends on how you define success. Uh, and I think that you came up with a definition of success there that is absolutely perfect that I think makes Nashville's current run meet that definition. All they need is a, a point in, in two matches and, and they can't get caught. Um, they can they can get you know I guess they can get drawn. New England can draw level with them, but probably not on points. So it is a situation where, yeah, Nashville has done everything that they could do as far as the table, and that's what you needed to ask of this stretch. I have every bit of confidence this team can at least get two points out of the next two and, and draw both of these. The run's going to come to an end at some point. Again, Montreal really good at home, but I, I like Nashville's chances to take three points in one of these next two. Uh, some gold nuggets looking back at what's happened so far this year. We are now 18 matches into the season. Nashville with 35 points. Just by comparison of, of a couple of past years, that's eight better than they were had at this stage last year. The real comparison is to 2021, though, right? When they finished mm-hmm. in a tie for second uh, in the East, 28 points at this point. And, and I know they got really hot toward the end of the year, but to be seven points ahead of that perch at this point is really strong. Uh, just an idea of what that current points per game clip would look like at the end of the season. We're talking 66 points and change. That would have been one point off supporter shield last year as LAFC and Philadelphia both finished with 67 points. And so I think the question here, Tim, is not, is all that good? <laughs> nope, it's terrible. It is. <laughs> is, is all of it sustainable? Can Nashville keep up this pace? Well, keep in mind that LAFC not only finished on 67 points last year, but until the very end of the year, they were on pace to smash New England's 71 points from the previous year. So that was a historically good year that didn't quite turn out that way, but to come within a point of that would be insane. So I I think we can say, obviously, Nashville is going to lose again, especially you look at a slight tilt toward road matches, including a trip to Cincinnati in the back half of the season. Um, Can they lose three or fewer games? It's basically they're just over halfway through the season and have three losses. Can they lose three or fewer the rest of the way? I think they can. Uh, do I think they will? I don't really know, but it's possible. It's absolutely possible for Nashville to at least continue to not lose. We'll, we'll see how many of those are, are draws versus wins, but I do think it's a situation where they've set themselves up where, that they can really control their own destiny. here. If we play the Mike Jacobs game that he plays confidentially at the beginning of every year, and he assigns a point value, an expected point value to every match. Zero, one, three. Um, you know, I think I look at, at the zero matches, and I mainly look at road matches right now, Nashville goes to Philadelphia. I think that's one where you're happy to get anything out of that. Mm-hmm. To Atlanta. I know Atlanta's been totally back and forth so far, but if they still have any players left that haven't been sold to Europe, then that's a tough <laughs> match in August. To Cincinnati, a team, of course, that beat you in Nashville. Those are three I would say are zero pointers. Columbus is tricky. Again, I think you should get a point out of that. But if you can stay unbeaten at home, tall order when you host a team like Philadelphia or a New England or even like in Orlando, but if you can stay unbeaten at home, I think there are three or fewer here for this team. Yeah. I, I, if I had to guess, it's, pos- it's possible. It's, it's, it's not probable. probable. I think they'll lose four more. I think they'll lose four, four or five yeah. more this year. And yeah. even still, they're in a place where they're they're gonna 
they have they have room to have a letdown and yeah. still be a top four team. Yeah, absolutely. Is- if, if they lose if they lose four matches and they lose the pace that they're on right now, again, that, that's pace that would have put them in second place last year. It's certainly yeah. nothing to lose sleep over. Wonderful place to be. Maybe you can even think about hosting that second round game too, getting a two seed that guarantees your right to do that should you win. Uh, let's talk about Hani now. Uh, I think we every podcast has to. Uh, feature him prominently until he stops doing things and he's not stopping anytime soon. I don't think 13 goals and seven assists now this year. That's four more goal contributions than the second best player in the league in that category. One Tiago Almada, who will not probably have a chance to catch Hani again, because he's probably to possibly getting sold uh, to Europe in this upcoming window. So just to to look at what that looks like at a per minute, per game basis for Hani, he's tallying a goal or an assist every 75 minutes. Last year, <laughs> saying, isn't it? Last year, he won MVP at a pace of 83 minutes for, for a goal contribution. One more number for you. Uh, at this point last year, where was Hani? Again, he's at 13 and seven now. Last year, he was just at nine and five. So he picked up the pace, even still, Tim. He is six goal contributions ahead right now of where he was during his MVP season. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's one and a quarter goal contributions per game. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Nashville some years would have been happy to get that as a team. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's a clear favorite for MVP now, right? Which should be his third straight. Uh, Could could ultimately end up being his second straight, but we won't harp on that every week. Cross that one off your bingo cards, everyone. But (laughs) I mean, all the better, as, as we've discussed before, it's not the end of the road for Hani, whether or not he wins MVP. He's not really a guy who's hankering to return to Europe. Um, he's he's had his his journey in his his home country of Germany. He's tried Portugal. He was very successful in Den- <clears throat> excuse me Denmark. He's very happy in Nashville. He's happy with the life he has. He's happy with the way he's playing. So um, this is this is when you look at you know people try to kill Nashville for Ake Loba. They, had, they even tried to kill him for Randall Leal and Jander Cadiz. I would say both of those guys are non failures. It's weird to criticize Nashville, but give Mike Jacobs credit for for Hani not only finding a guy who has the potential to to be at three straight MVP caliber seasons, but probably isn't going anywhere. This has got to be one of the best scouting jobs in league history. Yeah. I mean, it's that and Ake Loba or one and two. Um, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, I think, you know, somebody had noted that, you know, Carlos Heel and Hani Mukhtar were two guys that most people in the United States had never heard of until they were mm-hmm. brought in and, and the scouting that goes into that. And, and I think, you know, it even folds into a question that uh, Chris Hole sent us via DMs that I, I just remembered is, is here as well. He, he says that extra time mentioned Nashville's front office has a poor track record with international signings. Dude, we, 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 I harped on this. I harped on this last week or maybe two weeks ago with Braden. Ugh. Yeah, Don't it's either. it's ridiculous. So so yeah. what they're what what extra time is going to do? Of course, they're going to try to cover the league as comprehensively as they can, but they're going to see shiny objects and they're going to stick. Uh, per, re, they're going to base their reality off of perceptions from those shiny objects. They said case, Sha- they said Shaq Moore was a failure at this point, and that was part yes. of their their scouting uh, failures pile. It just doesn't make sense because Shaq Moore has been very good. It's absurd. Uh, and then you look at you I, part of their argument is that there have been very few international signings for Nashville. And part of that is because of the nature of, of starting your franchise and then immediately um, being sidelined by a global pandemic. But again, if you have to count Randall Leal, John Dercati's uh, West Nashville's number one, John Dercati's defender over <laughs> here, I, I know, but still, uh, and Shaq Moore as, as failures of international scouting, then I mean, I will take those. If that's the bar for failure, um, right. Ake Loba <laughs> is obviously a very, is well below it. But the rest of that is, that is success to me. Yeah. And, and some of the criticism comes from the fact that Nashville hasn't advanced as far in the playoffs as they probably should have uh, at least once. And they probably should have gotten more on decision day 2021. So they would have been hosting that game against Philly instead mm-hmm. of traveling to Philly. But you flip that result and all of a sudden this is a team that's that's got a chance to play for MLS Cup. And I, I just don't think you look at a team with a low N value of of international signings and you look at their their P value of, of success. And it's basically all except for Ake Loba and Rodrigo Pinheiro, who, again, yeah. global pandemic related reasons that his signing didn't work out. Um, also, on field reasons too, but largely global pandemic related reasons that his didn't work out. No other club has had the the struggle that Nashville has had in terms of timing, except for Miami. And I would contend that Nashville has done a lot better with international signings than Miami. 
I think they brought they're bringing somebody in soon that might try to change that, but uh, we'll yeah. see. Hey, but, hey I, it's, it's only n plus one and, and p value plus plus one in the in the numerator. I think at the, at the very least, you you could claim insufficient data set to determine success. Yeah. Is there a is there a synonym by the way for insufficient data set that I can nope. think of? It's been said on the show before. Nope. Alliterative, maybe. This, this is the that's the free space for us. <laughs> everybody's already got it checked off. <laughs> it's it's a ludicrous complaint to make, but and the, the whole point I was circling back to make was. Even if every signing had been a flop. we love we love extra time and the extra time guys to be very clear. Oh, I'm we've a, had I'm many of them on our show. Just, They're good just, guys. Yeah, we're, we're disagreeing agreeably here. Uh, we don't don't flame them. Well, flame their opinion a little bit. But the point <laughs> I was trying to make the whole time was that even if every international signing had been a failure, and we're on record, we don't think so. Every except for Hani Mukhtar, Hani's success yeah. balances the, the, all yeah. that out. I, I'm I'm like honestly trying to think of a, a signing that's as good in terms of under the radarness of player and success mm. and also potential longevity. Nico Ladero is the only one that immediately springs to mind. Cause he's going to be a guy who stays in Seattle forever yeah. um, for basically as long as he plays. Everybody else has, has had a couple great years and then moved on to Europe um, or flipped over a, a table of chicken and rice and went to, and gone to your, one of your biggest rivals the following off yeah. season. So. Right. Or, or was so heralded coming in that they can't yeah. really. And, and Joseph was that too. Joseph was already yeah. a big deal. He was playing in Syria. Uh, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think he is, it, Hani's a top five signing by those criteria in the history of the league. I think it, it's totally fair to say, regardless of what he does moving forward. And I think we expect even more out of him, including another MVP this year at this rate. Uh, Part of, of the the reason, though, that we give this management group and, and this uh, front office so much credit is their domestic signing success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we look at a guy like Josh Bauer and Josh Bauer is not the number one, two, three or four example we're going to point to of the domestic scouting success. But he comes in, he gets his first start in gold against St. Louis City as Lucas McNaughton was was not available for this team. Walker was uh, playing in Nations League. So Nashville's a bit depleted there. Bauer starts. What'd you see from him? Uh, positive, I think, that he can come in and be trusted, I, I guess, to, to play in that spot. What'd you think? Yeah, he was fine. And it was kind of the same that we saw uh, in the previous match when Lucas McNaughton went in and he was an unexpectedly used player. So the fact that he was ready to come in kind of showed. I mean, he's not going to be the physical or technical presence of the guys that he has to come in and replace. He, It will shock you to learn that he is just not going to be Walker Zimmerman. It will shock you to learn that he's not going to be even Lucas McNaughton, who has been a pleasant uh, revelation in his own right, because Toronto FC was very happy to get rid of him, honestly. So Bauer's a guy who's going to get in and, and do a job. And with the Nashville FC attack blowing up, even if he makes a mistake, a clean sheet isn't necessary. So you can kind of ride with a guy like that over the short mm-hmm. term. Unfortunately, Walker, um, not called up to the gold cup. Um, Nashville kind of, I think made a deal with USSF to say he can go to nation's league, but we'd prefer to have him for the longer stretch here. You aren't going to need as much out of Josh Bauer now because you have Walker Zimmerman, but now we see that he's a guy who, if you need a 75th minute sub for one of your center backs, or if you need an injury replacement for one of your center backs, he's going to be able to do it. Right to see more confidence. Lawrence white called back in as well for depth purposes after being loaned to Tampa Bay a couple weeks ago. Uh, Before we get on to really exciting news announced at Jodas park last week, uh, we've got to, got to just discuss for a minute the confounding overturn that gave St. Louis City a goal. I think would have been a much bigger talking point, of course, had uh, Nashville drawn or or lost that match. So just to, to recap what's going on here, ball sent in by a St. Louis player. Initially, the offside flag is raised because Joachini was clearly in an offside position when he mm-hmm. put the ball into the net. However, the ball, the ball was headed back across. It was yes, from a corner. The right. ball was headed back Thanks. across, and he was on the end of that. Yeah. Better radio play-by-play than I just gave. Thank you. That was <laughs> that was good. It was ultimately reviewed because it was deemed to have been played that direction to an offside player, but by a Nashville head, and an intentional playing of the ball mm-hmm. by an opponent then negates the offside. He can be wherever he wants. He can be in the goal, and it doesn't doesn't matter as long as he's you know as long as it's played by an opponent, there is another factor to it as well. Tim, I'll just let you go from here and explain what happened and why in the world, how in the world the referee could have seen what he saw. Yeah. So essentially the, the, it was determined that the ball was headed by Dan Lovitz instead of, I th- think it was uh Tim Parker. I want to say was I the, was the center right back who that, was right yeah. there, but I, I understand that the thought process, Dan Lovitz's header does indeed play Joe Akini back on side. My, uh, issue here is with the clear and obvious standard. Nima Sagafi can't overturn the play unless he clearly made a mistake. Parker does get a slight touch on the ball, which deflects it onto Lovitz's head. And yes, 
we all know how physics works. The the ball was probably going to land on his head anyway, but the standard is not the same as the NFL where you say, okay, it was going to hit Lovitz's head anyway. We can, we can make that logical leap. It has to be a clear and obvious error. And the fact that Parker did get that deflection or whichever center back it was, if it wasn't Parker, I'm sorry, everybody. I, I, have, I have not gone back and rewatched it, but that slight deflection means that you can't know that the, uh, that the error was clear and obvious. Even if you believe it was an error, it cannot by definition be clear and obvious. And then, we, I, we don't even need to get into the, the fact that Joe Akini is, is taking down Joe Willis as, as he knocks it into the goal with his elbow. So, I mean, I think if it had been elbow. a call. Yeah. With his elbow. We I, do need to get into that, Tim. It's yeah. His yeah meh, it's his we? elbow. Like that, he yeah. inserted, the referee inserted a clear and obvious error into a review of a clear and obvious error. And, and I'm not, I'm not sure because they never called the elbow because it was, it was waved off immediately. That was never, there was never a call on the field that needed to be subject to the clear and obvious yeah. standard, I guess. I, it's, I don't even know what the, what the IFAB guidelines are for that. It's something that we could probably look into, but if it had been called a goal on the field, I, th- I don't think you can overturn it because again, you don't know that the, that, that deflection changes ch- changes enough to say that would have been a clear and obvious error either way it is not again it's not like football what we see and what we know are the fact it has to be that we yeah. see that and we know that the ref made a clear and obvious error it's a different sort of standard and um it, it is it is it is an error probably either way it is not a clear and obvious one from Nima Sagafi and then I'm surprised that he overruled himself when he went to the monitor it was unbelievable, I think, in so many ways, um, and I'm glad it didn't matter. Shout out uh, to Nima Sagafi. He he he's good. I'll admit he's he had a rough referee. one. He had a bit of a rough one on Saturday with a, a pretty chippy game, but he's one of the best refs in this league too. So don't, don't uh, take this as a as an, a slight on him because I I like him a lot as a ref. Just I don't think he made the right call on that one. Nima Sagafi, the extra time crew, two groups of people that we like <laughs> and appreciate and can still like the extra time guys way more. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> No question, <laughs> but no, it's always good to have the, that part of the conversation. Like we don't want there to be a chilling effect on people wanting yeah. to sign up to be referees. You, this is a point that you've made quite a bit as well, that, you know, we want to talk respectfully when we talk even adamantly about, about a call. Um, all right. Exciting news at Jonas Park uh, last Tuesday at MSIPIC, the first homegrown signing for NSC forward playing much of his time with Huntsville has come up through the NSC Academy. And uh, Tim, I think this is, this is just awesome news. Um, we, we kind of were aware this was coming last week. Yeah. If, if you'd caught it very closely, I was going to say, I didn't even know if you, if you uh, got it in there verbally. on the, on the show last week, I said, we are not going to be specific with the uh, news. Um, so, cause, cause we kind of suspected this was coming. So specific, nobody caught that. So uh, glad you're better at catching our ML Rose. You told me after the show and I wasn't sure if you said it on, on the show or not. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure I did. But but Tim, this is this is awesome news for the club, specifically because of the player, because he's a really mm-hmm. promising player. But also symbolically that this is a guy who's they didn't sign him from somewhere else and call him a homegrown. They right. brought him up through the academy. Yeah, he's a guy. He was one of the first signings uh, or first uh, academy classes for Nashville SC when they added the academy. He played locally uh, with Bowling Green Sky, I believe is the name of the club. I really should have looked that up real quick before I before I said it out loud. But he's he's from Bowling Green, Kentucky. He's a guy who um, is has always been a, a member of this academy. He's a guy who uh, you look at uh, Bowling Green Elite, sorry. He's a guy who shout out to Bowling Green Elite. I'm a, I apologize for getting your name wrong. <laughs> but he's a guy, he's a guy that has has been with the Nashville SC Academy basically since day one. And he's also a guy that that they developed. It's not somebody who just kind of showed up, like you mentioned. He didn't come from another hotbed area and, you know, allow us to say, oh, Nashville produced this guy. This is a guy that Nashville is actually going to have had a big say in producing. Um, he commutes from Bowling Green, according to uh, the story from our great friend Drake Hills. Um, got a little bit of background on it. Um, check it out on the Tennessean. But it is a situation where Nashville, we, they were going to be proud no matter when the first homegrown signing came. The fact that he is who he is and uh, is as promising as he is are both make it all the more exciting. Really excited for him, for his family, and uh, for the Nashville SC community. It's, uh, and I it's believe, a big moment. I believe, if I recall correctly, he, this preseason he was training with a club in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is his 
his dual nationality. If people didn't realize that Adem Sipic is not is not a guy who uh, is many generations long in the United States based on the name, but he is he is somebody that um, major clubs in Europe have gotten a look at, and obviously they did not sign him. But it is something that that tells you that this kid has a lot of potential. Even better, talking about the internationalization of this area and this city that's representative of Nashville in its own way as well. Here's uh, Mike Jacobs talking about his newest homegrown signing. There are some things about uh, Adam when you watch him play that are pretty easy on the eyes. Uh, you know, physically, he's a specimen compared to, to players his age. And as a center forward, he's probably a prototype from what you look for, like from a physical standpoint. And I don't mean just like his, his size and strength, but also his pace, his ability to play, you know, in front of the center backs, like his hold up play is really good, but also the pace to get, pace to get in behind makes him a threat. You know, we, we talk a lot about trying to assess our guys, uh, you know, under standards that would be, you know, like outside their comfort zone. Uh, getting a chance to watch him play and train with older players. Uh, you know, this offseason, this preseason, getting a chance to train with the first team was really beneficial for us in our evaluation of him. Getting a chance to see him not only stand out in the matches he played, but specifically against other MLS academies. You know, he went through a stretch. Kev would have the numbers probably, but I mean, like, he went to like two, like two or three straight games against Philadelphia, Miami, Atlanta, Charlotte, where he absolutely just tore them apart. And for us, it's, it's great to see him do well against traditional youth clubs, but to see him do that against other MLS academies, those are the other team's future prospects. So just, uh, you know, really impressed by that. And, you know, I think those are easy to see when you see a player in that role who's big and strong and fast, and he's banging goals in. But to me, I, I think what I've been most impressed about is his ability to influence winning. You know, we want to have it as part of the DNA of our club that we're identifying players. You, know, you come out and watch games on a Saturday night and you see guys like Annabel Godoy or Walker Zimmerman or Alex Wheel, like you just like run through people, you know, you know, in pursuit of not just winning 50-50 balls, but trying to win matches and win championships. And this kid has that in spades. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll let Mike speak for himself. We kind of gave our comments there on the front end of that of that uh, commentary about uh, Sipic. Uh, let's get into the mailbag in just a moment. First, ML Rose, I want to narrate a, uh, a Twitter conversation. I realized that you were you were tagged in via the Club Country USA handle. I was actually going through the mentions of ML Rose to just see what people were saying. And of course, most of the mentions uh, right now are our mailbag questions, responses to our show, yada, yada. But there was one, uh, there was one person who reached out, Logan reached out, not Logan Elliott, another Logan, uh, it says, anyone know any good pubs or bars near Jonas Park that I can take some friends for their first game? Uncle Beezy. Thanks, Uncle Beezy. Regular listener says, yes. In response, he must not listen to Club and Country. <laughs> and Logan says, going to be honest, I don't need to start listening. <laughs> and Uncle Beezy, it's good stuff. Even their love affair with ML Rose. And then Patron Saint jumping in there, piling on. I can concur that ML Rose is fantastic. No word about whether our shows. Yeah, I was going to say, you can concur that we're fantastic <laughs> as well, perhaps. But it's just so much fun to, like, I was just looking to see, like, who's going to say something about their burger. I didn't know we were going to mm-hmm. play a role in any of that. It was really cool to see somebody citing us uh, and giving us more credibility, associating us with ML Rose, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we talk a lot about how proud we are to to not only um, be be sponsored by a, a a restaurant that that is such a part of the soccer community, but wants to be part of the soccer community. And as you can see by by situations like that, we're considered part of their soccer community as well. And that's something that is honestly really special to us. You don't really think about it. You think, okay, yeah, um, you know, we we go on and we talk about them every week, and that's that's fine and dandy. But but they talk about us too, and and we come up in the conversation for them. And um, it's something that that makes me really proud because it means that uh, we we really are driving people to ML Rose, and that's something that has has been our goal. And we're we're happy that uh, that it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Also, a shout to Finn Breland who responded to that same thread with ML Rose being the best in the area for drinks and food. And then J Mark responding every time someone mentions ML Rose, Club and Country gets their wings. That's how it works, right? If that's how it worked, <laughs> I would be able to fly from here to every ML Rose location instantly. <laughs> uh, and again, those locations Capitol View, 8th Avenue, West Nashville, and Mount Juliet. ML Rose, the place to go for uh, burgers, for beers, and for healthy options as well before and after matches, or just whenever you feel like really good food, good TV, and good company. Thanks to many of you for your questions now. We'll hit the mailbag. We'll start with one actually off of our rundown just submitted by Finn Breedland, since we just gave Finn some love for uh, promoting ML Rose and us. Um, Finn says, the vibes at the castle have been on fire lately. Each game, it feels crazier than the last. Is it just my bias? Can we measure noise level ticket sales? 
or is this just a byproduct of a good run of form that will die off? Tim, I don't know how you correct for goals scored and still measure atmosphere, but three goals <laughs> scored uh, now in a couple of home games, that'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about this last year in terms of how a couple opponents early in, in Geodis's park opening said, yeah, it was fine when they scored, but not that loud the rest of the time. Well, I think the team has, has for one, made it so that's happening constantly. So, so it's going to be loud a lot. But also, I, I think the atmosphere has has fed the team and, and helped them to goals mm-hmm. in a way that, and through no, through no individual's fault, obviously, or through no group's fault, it just didn't seem to click last year. And now that it is, that's obviously a super good thing. And I, I would agree that it does seem like the atmosphere has been on a completely different level from last year. And it's only continuing to get better as the team finds success. Yeah, I mean, since Nashville beat Atlanta 3-1 at home, counting that game moving forward, Nashville's outscored opponents at Jonas Park 16-4. to uh, That's going to do it for you, for sure. And of course, six goals in their last two. But I think also, you know, there, there there's an energy and an education curve that has to grow over time. And as, uh, as great as the, you know, Nashville arena crowds were, as it was then called uh, for, for the Preds, you know, they didn't, they, they were not up to speed on the game always. And they had to take time And with education and knowledge comes energy and appreciation of more than just goals. And I think that's what we're seeing now. But I go back to Tahani entering for the first time early in the match at home and the MVP chant resounding throughout Geodas park before he'd even set foot on the field. People knew where to watch for him they knew what he was doing, and it wasn't just the people sitting right next to the warm up play, warming up players. It was throughout the place. Um, it's an example. So, with with appreciation of the game comes comes that energy. And uh, you know, if if it's a scoreless draw against DC United on July first, it's probably not the same level of energy at the end of the match. But <laughs> I do think we're seeing Nashville fans adjust to the curve. And and you guys, many of you listeners who have been around since day one, uh, are are you deserve credit because you start that. You're the source of so much of that. Uh, all right, let's get into Gold Cup talk now, because, of course, there's a lot of excitement around what the U.S. men's national team could potentially do after the Nations League win. But there's impact to Nashville as well. And a couple of you had questions about that in Nashville SC Stats asking, with Schaffelberg earning the Gold Cup call up, how does a setup change? Uh, he thinks the easiest adjustment is Hani moving further up the pitch. Leal, who will not be with Costa Rica at the point of the diamond. I like that look a lot. Um, before we get to your answer there, Tim, Stashville saying potentially six matches without Schaffelberg, Fafa, Godoy. Teal has a knock. We don't know what that looks like, of course. Um, and those are the players, by the way. Walker, staying in-house. Shaq Moore, staying in-house. They're not going with the U.S. Godoy for Panama, Pico for Haiti, Schaffelberg for Canada. And Stashville wondering, can Nashville effectively stick with the diamond, or is it back to a 4-2-3-1? Other than Leal, who has the biggest opportunity to step up, and what does success look like so many places to take all those questions just take it wherever you want yeah i mean i don't think too much changes in terms of what the club can do formationally um like you mentioned randall Leal is back so that's another shuttler or a number 10 if you want to put a more pure midfielder at that at that shuttler spot and he and hani can either play 10 or as that second striker they have both um played as a second striker in their time in nashville obviously hani has done a ton of it Leal has done a little bit of it they've both played the number 10 again Ani has done a lot of it. Um, Leal has done a little bit of it. Um, I don't know if that's what they want to do from a depth perspective. It, it starts to make you really thin because you don't have um, either of your speed to burn guys. Fafa and Schaffelberg are not quite like for like, but the one thing that they bring that opponents have a real difficulty to handle is that speed. Uh, and Nashville doesn't really have a replacement for that speed. So um, if you if you want to be able to use Hani to, to flood numbers forward and, and have that second striker, I think you stick with a bit of a diamond. But um, I, I, I do think the way Nashville has played the diamond is almost interchangeable with the 4-2-3-1. We, we, uh, and I am as guilty of it as anyone, get a little bit obsessed with the, number for, the numbered formations when the roles are. Nashville uses one of those shuttlers to be a, a bit of a holding midfielder at times. So it's not that big of a deal, but um, I think you can easily stick with the the pure diamond, so to speak, by by putting a Nunga at the six and letting um, Dax and, and Sean Davis rotate through those shuttler spots. At the same time, either of those could could sit back a little more frequently and they could be playing at the same time and, and Davis could be more of a, a shuttler type while, while Dax plays as a bit of a pure six and is basically plays out just like the four, two, three, one, even though you're nominally in a diamond. So they do have some options there. It's, it's what you do with the attacking pieces. If, if you want to have Leal as one of those shuttlers, 
We don't want to have to have Hani running quite as much as both a guy pressing in the front and being that second striker. So there are going to be some times that Nashville will want to be a little bit more conservative and, and save some of these guys a bit because not just the they don't have the optimal personnel, but because lacking that optimal personnel really harms the depth. Yeah, I think Bunbury is the biggest absence that concerns me, really, if, if he's uh, out there the time. Well, because I think... Zubak has come in and, and done a job, though. I think fine. he's been fine. He's been fine. He's been fine. And he can still hold up and let Hani be free. Teal, I'm not... Teal has been fine, too. I like Teal a lot, but he's just been fine. <laughs> right, but it's a depth thing. for It's the depth piece. It's if you're starting two strikers and you're wearing out two mm-hmm. guys with yeah. Hani being one of those two and you're moving Leal up, to me, it's it's the question of how you you know how you distribute minutes and, and get help late if neither yeah. of those guys gets a goal. And I, I do think um, Gary Smith said today that Teal is not going to play on Wednesday. It would surprise me if that extended past Saturday mm-hmm. uh, based on the way Gary said it. So at the very least, it could be a situation where we don't have to worry about having Teal for that long. Yeah. And it stinks to be without Schaffelberg. But I mean, you think of the number of matches where he was brought in late anyway as an injection mm-hmm. of pace. You know, he's probably a better fit for a 4-2-3-1 all around because he likes to play wider than to be a narrower Shuttler, I'm with you. I think you just have probably a more steely conservative setup in midfield by having a Dax and Davis as one of the shuttlers, as you mentioned. Um, And, you know, Anuga, we know what he is and what he isn't. And, you know, I I think he can play that six perfectly fine. Um, I'm I'm really not terribly concerned uh, about his ability to do that well. So I think that's a good take. Um, And I also will echo your thought about the shape. And and not obsessing too much over over the the fine, you know, the, the names when the fine points maybe are somewhat um you know somewhat similar regardless of what you do um going down deeper in the bench then uh, Nashville SC stats with a follow-up with Fafa and Schaff leaving do you think a Huntsville player could earn a bench spot with NSC maybe Bolaños or Amish I'm a big Bolaños fan by the way just putting that out there not an answer to the question I love what he does in Huntsville anyway Tim do you think they have a song for him like Bailamos by Enrique Iglesias? Bolaños. Oh, I promise I would never sing on the podcast. Oops. It's a first, everybody. <laughs> so many other more singable songs, too, that you decline to sing. And you go Ricky Martin for your first. You really are living La Vida Loca. Uh, it's not Ricky Martin. That's okay. Wait, it's, that's not it's, it's, it's uh I said it was Enrique Iglesias. Oh. It's Mark Anthony, isn't it? Oh my goodness, we are really we are really stuck in the in the mid nineties Latin invasion. And We're stuck in Miami, is where we are. Displaying like our lack of memory about it. <laughs> <laughs> to get to the question, um, guys who are not on MLS contracts can only be loaned up for two games to play. They can be on the bench for two more times. So using those sparingly is important. You need to plan out when you want to use those guys. Um, They can come up and play for the senior team without those restrictions during League's Cup or other non-league matches. For example, if Nashville were still in the Open Cup, you can bring in as many guys as you want. So you do need to use those those opportunities in league play very sparingly. You look at the guys who are on senior contracts but playing with Huntsville regularly, Ahmed Longmire, Joey Skinner, Elliot Panico. They can be recalled at any time, though obviously um, those positional needs, center back, especially with uh, Walker Zimmerman returning, uh, left back and and goalkeeper are not as strong of needs. I I honestly doubt we see it. Um, Nashville has been comfortable playing a pretty tight rotation in the past. And um, given the likelihood of, of how long you're going to miss some of these guys, and this is really long. <laughs> so, so bear with me for a second here, but you look at Haiti, um, they would have to advance from a group with Mexico, Honduras, and Qatar that they're going to come in fourth in that. So group they'll, so they'll beat Mexico, but they're going to lose to Honduras and Qatar. Yeah. 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 I would love for that to happen. I would laugh and laugh and laugh, but they're going to come probably going to come forth in that group. It's far more likely that he's back um, July 3rd, which would be uh, the day after their July 2nd uh, final group stage game. Um, Anibal Godoy is no guarantee to advance from a group uh, that also has Costa Rica and El Salvador in it. Um, even if Canada wins group D that brings up a matchup with either the USA or Jamaica, um, probably Jamaica. If Canada somehow ends up second in group D, they would have to play the, the United States team that just trashed them <laughs> on, on Sunday night. Um, so their run could end quickly. I think worst case scenario, um, you miss only the next three games for Pico. That would be Wednesday, Saturday, and then July 1st. Um, plus the Chicago match for Godoy, which is on July 8th and Canada could make the final of the gold cup. Um, I think a run to the semifinal would still get Schaffelberg back for the Cincinnati match. Um, that that revenge match that Nashville is hoping to have a full strength squad for. So, yes, you're going to be without some players for the next two or three games, but it's not quite as long term an issue as as it could be. 
It's really helpful perspective. So as your reference point then for what's coming up for Nashville SC during Gold Cup, just listen back to that. Those last couple of minutes to get an idea of, of what Nashville's going to miss um, and how they could potentially take care of that. Um, looking forward a good bit here, Kevin Morrison, uh, not trying to be the guy who blows things out of proportion, he says, but the team's in impeccable form. In your humble opinion, if we don't see some silverware this season, will the window to do it close after 2023? Or is this opportunity going to be something we can count on for a few more years? I think we can count on a couple things, Kevin. Number one, this is built to be a high floor team that by definition that's going to have high ceiling years as well. I, I think this is a team that will, in the next five years, Nashville's going to miss the playoffs at some point. There's, there's too much parity in this league. You're going to have a season when injuries hit you. Something's going to go wrong. They're going to finish ninth or 10th or whatever the play, playoff format is, and they're going to miss out at some point. That's going to be an anomaly. This team is going to be in contention to do some special It's going to be like Seattle seasons. last year where they have won right. this, the CONCACAF champions of exactly. Cup and then, and then miss the playoffs. Ooh, there's blowing things out of proportion. There you go. But <laughs> th- this league, those things are going to happen. That For the, the future of this club, I'll count next four or five years forward, that's going to be the exception rather than the rule. This team's going to be in contention to win a trophy at some point. And even in a down year, look at what you know Inter-Miami is doing in U.S. Open Cup. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a team we look at as a contender. So silverware is going to be in play for this team every year. Uh, will it be supporter shield yeah. every year? No. Is this a unique chance to push for that? Absolutely. It is. But I don't think we can look at this team as just completely falling flat in the next couple of years, especially as long as the cornerstone players signed for the foreseeable future stay on the team, Tim. Yeah, I think the window closing relates in large part to who those players are going to be. Um, and a window closing is is kind of inherently a question about who is who is getting too old to continue playing at their current level. Um, Dax, love him to death, but we're already seeing reduced minutes out of him. So um, when he does eventually hang them up, which is hopefully not anytime soon, it will have come as, as kind of the end of a taper. Um, Joe Willis. He's got a couple more years of, of prime goalkeeping years. Teal Bunbury, a good fit for this team. We just talked about how important he can be to this team. Uh, you said he, uh, vis-a-vis Ethan Zubak, he's crucial. <laughs> but, but but that's also a piece that Nashville SC could upgrade upon. Um, we probably expect to upgrade upon this window, or they'll at least try to. Um, Anibal Godoy, similar to Dax, very good. But the age is showing now, and Nashville has kind of looked into succession plans. You look at signing Brian Nunga to a longer contract. You look at pick up, picking up Sean Davis, who's, who's not super young either, but he's younger. Um, you look at adding a guy like Jan Gregus, a former, a former DP in this league, who you have on a reasonable contract, who is a slightly younger version of, of maybe Dax McCarty, for, for example. Um, if That's in reverse order of age, basically. So you have to get to Fafa Pico and Dan Lovett's tier of, of age <laughs> um, before you even really start to worry. And, and I said before the season, I was worried that Fafa Pico is starting to get old enough where the one characteristic that sets him apart from his peers, that speed might start to fade. It hasn't yet. Not it probably yet. will in the next couple of years. <laughs> um, Dan Lovitz is a guy who who has a few more good years ahead of him. That's not to say the window won't close, but I don't think 2023 is, is a unique uh, opportunity to win um, silverware in a broad sense. It's obviously we're seeing it's a unique opportunity to to contend for supporter shield, mm-hmm. but I do think that this club has the opportunity to contend for U.S. Open Cup next year. Um, knock on wood, they have an opportunity to contend for Concacaf Champions Cup by based on where they finish this season. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be an expanded competition as well, and hopefully, you'll see them compete for MLS Cup. If they don't get silverware this year, I don't think it means the window has closed. I think the current window still has at least a couple more years in it. And when you look at how they kind of backfill some of these guys as maybe some of the older guys begin to to rotate out of the regularly used portions of the lineup, hopefully that window can just get extended. Yeah, I think Nashville's philosophy, usually the term rotate, it's, it's a slowly turning revolving door. It's not an elevator exit or, a, you know, a, a, just a door where everybody's coming out at once. It's there's there's churn to it and they're churning in as well as they're churning out at this point. So I think the front offices are in faith. They're going to continue to be in contention. Um, this is not betting advice what's coming up, by the way, but Aaron does ask, does Hani get six goal contributions in the next six games? He said, I made a bet. He'd hit the over on 8.5 goals plus assists, beginning with the game against St. Louis until That's the good time to start for that. Great. <laughs> great start. You're a third of the way there, Aaron. So congrats. Um, so what are those six games uh, at Montreal at Columbus? Of course, the ones coming up this week. Home to D.C., nice, that's going to be a chance. At Chicago, another chance. Uh, home versus Philadelphia and at Cincy. I mean, there's some tough ones in there. Four of those six games, I would I would say, are tough 
matches. And yet, despite playing some tough matches so far, Hani again has 20 goal contributions in 18 games played. I think he keeps that pace up. I think barely. I think he probably has a game like a DC or a Chicago where he banks three <laughs> and, and that helps Nashville to that. Uh, assuming of course that, that Gary plays honey in a place like Chicago where the field was so bad last year, he didn't um, or two years ago, I'm sorry, two years ago. Um, so I, I say yes, Tim, I don't think he's going to have 10 or more, but I think, you know, six, seven, eight, I think that's not just doable. I think we should expect it. Hey, I mean, I think uh, anytime somebody will let you take the over on a honey bet at this stage, you, you take it right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Why would you take the under? It's that simple. It's that simple. (laughs) That's it. Okay. Moving on then. Uh, Harrison Hall, any word on the layout halftime sub? He said, I look for him after the game and he wasn't out on the field with the rest of the team, hopefully purely tactical, not injury related. And with Schaff gone the next few weeks and he trails off with uh, presumably a sense of dread, but Tim, I probably nothing to worry about. I think. Yeah, Randall's not on the injury report for Wednesday night's game. It's mostly precautionary. Remember, he's coming back from injury. So this is still not a 90-minute fit guy and and going in and, and playing a half and then getting some treatment to make sure that he's ready to play immediately as soon as possible in the subsequent match is the right move there. And, I, and that's the one that Nashville SC made unless they're, um, you know, being a little bit uh, liberal with their use of the injury report, which they usually aren't, so... Chris Hull asking what we thought he did with his longest start in several months and says he's eager to see Leal play at the top of that diamond. Did you like what Randall brought in those 45? Yeah, I actually thought he was better um, in the previous game that mm-hmm. he got, that he obviously had the um, the long shot that turned into the goal. But I do think that you look at what, what Randall brings and it's going to be really flashy when it's flashy and he's not going to get enough credit for being like a grinder that he can be and, and getting in defensively and doing all the dirty work and he did a little bit more of the, that sort of stuff against st louis and if you continue getting that and do get those occasional lightning strikes i think you're really on the right track yeah I, I, and they have been so cautious with him as you mentioned mm-hmm. that certainly wouldn't be alarmed it wouldn't be alarmed by him not being at peak form just also if, also if, if he is is close to injured where he's not getting more than 45 minutes costa rica won't call him up and piss him off exactly <laughs> exactly uh i mean Randall and Walker and Shaq sticking around during international window is incredible fortune for Nashville. Um, you hope obviously Randall is healthy enough to play it. I think too, it's, Hey, we've been really, you know, really cautious with Randall two games coming up, including a midweek play him 45 probably means if he's healthy, it's a signal. They're going to start him against Montreal mm-hmm. as well. And they, they're going to watch that, that pitch count, if you will. Uh, Logan Elliott, so many times defenders are late in tackling Schaffelberg are opposing defenders, not respecting his pace, are they just making a calculated decision that it's best to take him out? Uh, both, for sure. Logan, first yeah. of all, again. Por no los dos. Uh, why not both? Exactly, and it is. Uh, happy wedding, again. Happy honeymoon. Sorry that you had to send a mail back from your honeymoon. We didn't ask you to, <laughs> for the record. Uh, sorry, Kate, as well. Uh, the data actually doesn't reflect that he's fouled with great frequency. Uh, he's uh, looking at the stats. He's only uh, fouled once per 90 that he plays. Uh, they've just been really ugly fouls when opponents are finally able to catch him. They have to knock him down from behind because usually they are behind him. Uh, benchmarking that against Fafa, uh, he's fouled just over twice per 90. Hani, by the way, 38 fouls received in 16 units of 90 minutes. Fourth, the highest frequency in MLS among players who played a certain amount or might just be the fourth And, this, and that's player. crazy because I would I would say perhaps it is the bias of watching him game in and game out. It seems like he's one of the least protected DPs in this right? league too by the officiating crew. He's knocked down a lot more times when yeah. it's not called, yeah. for sure. Uh, but but Schaffelberg, I think, Tim, maybe you'll agree. It's it's the that when it does happen, it's so violent yeah. and yeah. Uh, because he's so fast. And yeah, and part of that, yeah, part of that is how quickly he's moving when he does go down. He's going to go over in a heap, and and part of it is um, maybe knowing the the gamesmanship and the dark arts a little bit. But I do think some of it is uh, it's like a Barry Sanders thing. Like you can't hit him if you can't touch him. And Schaffelberg <laughs> has been so fast, so in behind frequently this year that um, when he does get hit, it's it's notable not only because uh, he's he's been caught, but but because it is canceling out something that could have been really promising it's i love the breakaway plays it, it does it goes back it reminds me of a five star you know five foot nine running back in their high school recruiting film and and just he's can't he can't hit that window he can't turn that corner and he does every time 
and and guys end you, up running into each YouTube, other. YouTube, Tavon Austin, everybody. There you go. And there's our college football slash kind of high school football uh, mention of the week. It took a while this time. Last question from John Coplin. First time question asker, I believe. Thanks, John. Uh, what's the summer transfer window looking like? What position is Nashville targeting? Are there any rumored players that we've targeted? I mean, it's simple. I would say it's it's been what everybody has been expecting since preseason international. Uh, we know they have the slot now um, after picking up an additional one after Lucas McNaughton suddenly required one uh, that we discussed last week or a couple weeks ago, perhaps. But um, they they need a striker. They have a DP slot. Um, they had an international DP striker who they bought out. Uh, you buy him out because you want to free up all three of those spots for your team to fill all three. And they probably want to fill it with one player. There's other space on the roster um, to add depth in some places, but um, those will be secondary signings to what right. is potentially a, a season augmenting because I don't want to say season changing for a club right. that hasn't lost in 10 matches, but yeah. um, it, it should be the the keynote of the uh, signing window. Thanks again for the glut of questions. We hope we answered them to your satisfaction. We'll briefly go outside in. And, and Tim, what a satisfying Nations League semifinal and final it was. Oh, the semifinal was so good. I said for the boys and goals. It's nice. The it's nice to beat Canada. It is so nice to beat the tar out of Mexico. It was uh, it, content content recommendation. By the way, okay. If you if you are a scuffed listener and lover, you've got to. I think you might need to be a, a scuffed patron, which I would also recommend to listen to this. But uh, our good friend Vince Irvin did a solo show where he's basically just roasting Mexico for over an hour uh, on uh, Wednesday or Thursday evening. He he put it up. So funny, absolutely love it, Vince. He's the homie, and and uh, he put out a banger. <laughs> I plan to teach my son when he gets older that just because there are rivals doesn't mean, and by they, I mean any team, just because a team is a rival team doesn't mean that we should look down on them as being lesser than us. And then there's the Mexican national team. Uh, that's a different story. Lesser as individuals? No, you know I'm not saying that. Lesser as a soccer nation right now and the way they're going about it on and off the pitch? Yeah. It's it's not close. All they have is saltiness. And uh, they're not getting to the Quinto Partido of the Gold Cup, much less the World Cup. It is incredible to see their their struggles. And yes, the old curses now, they're only just exceeding <laughs> them, exceeding them in in sham shambolicity, shambolicness. They fire their manager on, on Monday as well. Directionless. Except, yeah. well, they're not directionless when it comes to opponents' legs. They know right where to go. Uh, which is yeah. trying to clatter into them. Glad Balogun's okay. Arsenal, resign him. Um, anything else there or any Gold Cup yeah, preview? I want a, a weird uh, crossover. Uh, okay. Another friend of the pod, Eric Heggie, was on a a flight with Alistair Johnston today on the way back from Las Vegas. Uh, Alistair Johnston sitting in coach <laughs> on, on a U.S. Airways flight to Charlotte. So, Them's on the out, budgets. Shout out to that. Yeah. Those are the budgets right now for the Canadian men's national team, by the way. And uh, Alistair, Alistair, I will say, uh, speaking of friends of the pod, Alistair did have a pretty nice window in the Nations League semifinal and final. Uh, just there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough team there for no. Canada to to really stand a chance. No, I, and of course, Alistair beating Anibal Godoy in Panama in the semifinal because everything. Brody, oh, back speaking to the of Anibal Godoy, did you see his goal that was called off? In the yes, the bike. Oh, oh, how wonderful that would have been. Shout shouts to Anibal, another friend of the pod, even though he hasn't come on it yet. Alistair doesn't often, or sorry, Anibal doesn't often score goals, but, yeah, but they're always went, sick. They're when always he does, sick. they are bangers. I go back to was it Miami at home in like 2020? The the shot from distance. Yeah, it was a ready shot too. Yeah, yeah weak footed. Uh, don't sleep on Anibal ever, yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> now, so Anibal bike. Where's the over under on that then for the rest of the year for Nashville? If Aaron's uh, betting on Hani negative Hani, negative zero point five. <laughs> now we know he can do it. Um, any any con- you've you've made a content recommendation. You're set on content. Yeah, I'm then, I guess right. Uh, I'll, oh, I'll Wes, also I remembered I remembered to uh, to set my fantasy team, but not until Saturday. So I already missed the <laughs> games, and I have I have like four guys <laughs> who didn't play. <laughs> well, okay, you remember to set your fantasy team. For once, the week for the that first I, time in like a the month week that I forgot to check it the day of to account for international absences. <laughs> so, uh, and I still won because I played somebody who hadn't said it all year. So I shut them out, which is I should get something for that, right? Clean um, sheets, yeah, it's clean sheet for a fantasy team. It's pretty, uh, 
pretty impressive actually i i don't even know how that happens but um good job good job remembering and did i mean even if it didn't quite work out so well for you uh you know with who you played did you end up did you end up winning do you know i did end up winning yeah i think my opponent didn't set theirs either because they only had like 60 points but what always sucks is when somebody who doesn't care as much as you is ahead of you in the standings oh good no i'm ahead of you so we're good But I'm only two points ahead of Brayden, and I know Oof. he hasn't checked his in a while, so that's a rough place to be. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Uh, for content recommendation, I'm, I'm going to go uh, recommend, as we have before, The Athletic, but in this case, Paul Tenorio's coverage of um, of the Greg Berhalter saga. I think you know they were on this news uh, right on top of it, right before kickoff of the semifinal, putting putting that that bit out there about Berhalter. Um, I think, you know, we don't have to get into our opinions here. I think it's definitely been a, a, a toxic place right now. A U.S. Men's National Team Twitter is often toxic among certain voices. And the thought leaders, though, I think can be really enjoyable and engaging and informative on this topic. And I think many have been. I'll recommend that as well as an athletic piece by Pablo Maurer and Felipe Cardenas about Miami's readiness or lack thereof for Messi. Um, they go from the high-rise condo. They take a tour of a unit in the high-rise condo where Messi owns a, a, a suite or a floor of the condo complex. They go to Little, little Buenos Aires, Aires, sorry, bad Spanish, and, and talk to residents there about whether Messi will ever step foot in their neighborhood. Um, they they go through the stadium deal and they talk about the contrast between Messi's likely lifestyle in Miami and his lifestyle with the club and how those two things are very going to be very, very different. I thought it was a great illustrative piece that got into the culture of the city and not just uh, of the club. That was really good, Tim. Yeah, I, and Pablo, I don't know if, if the picture made the story, but he also tweeted out a picture of s- some couple taking engagement photos in the middle of the street in just like an intersection of Miami. Check it out, at MLSist on Twitter. Like you do. I've, I've been in Little Havana. I've seen some things. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's, a, it's an awesome place, though, and I can't wait to follow that story, uh, even if it's going to be like following a train crash in some ways, probably. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. It's been a, a really fun show. Thanks in large part to um, our stupidity and zaniness, but also to the questions you sent. Um, and, and also Emil Rose, uh, thanks for their support of the show, for making it what it is. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Hop on right now. A bunch of you actually recently has, have given us some ratings. Um, I think most of them were good, so thank you. Uh, so hop on and rate the show, review the show, subscribe, tell a friend, follow us on Twitter. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network. Uh, new show, by the way, Pod Bless Nashville, talking Nashville issues just in time for the mayor's race. Add that to your repertoire, and we'll talk to you soon.